No, and just as a side note, we said this was going to happen in February of last year when the invasion took place. We said that North Africa was going to have famines and that there were likely to be civil wars and a lot of bad stuff happening in North Africa. It's happening now. And if you look at the news on uh, refugee ships going across the Mediterranean from North Africa up to Italy, you'll see that there's a lot of them because there's a famine happening there because there's not enough wheat because it's been locked off from the war. That adds to inflation. All of that stuff does. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting second hour of economic drivel <laughs> with uh the personal wealth coach known as jake and jeff mcclure and we'll say that a few more times just to prove that we know our own names uh because yep. sometimes economists may not on the other hand sorry that's an economics joke as well go ahead it's kind of interesting this morning i opened up the digital wall street journal and right at the lead story was that economists are dialing back their expectations for a recession this year. And if you've been listening to us or reading our newsletter or column in the paper for the last year, you'll notice we have been saying, what recession? We don't see any signs of a recession. Yes, the tea leaves are saying recession, but tea leaves are not particularly reliable right now. Yeah, we're looking at the tea crop and the tea crop looks a lot better than the leaves that have been already through the boiler. Yeah. So it really boils down to the fact that we may, it's, it's always possible to have a mild recession, but what we're looking at is that, and we've been making these kind of statements since at least the early 1990s, uh, when we count trucks on the highway and say, what recession? The theoretically was a recession going on, and yet we counted semi-trailer trucks on, on I-35 and concluded that there really wasn't a recession going on. And people said we're unrealistic, but in fact, in a, the fact is there is no looming recession based on the real world data. Yes, we have an inverted yield curve, which theoretically should cause a recession, but it isn't. Uh, and we well, have this, economic this, indicators that are down. This is, this is important and very important. Let me I underline this, put it in italics, make it bold. There is a statement out there. There is a belief out there that an inverted yield curve causes the recession. When the reality is that when we have looked into the past, we see that it quite often calls that a recession is about to occur and may be one of the causes of the recession. When I say maybe, that's important because what is, why is it, people talk about an inverted yield curve and it's like talking about uh, the, the hurricane coming. Uh, what is that? Well, it means that when, when you give somebody a loan, you get a higher interest rate to give them a loan for a very short period of time than if you were to give them a loan for a long period of time. Well, what is that going to make you want to give them loans at? Well, you want to give them loans for a short period of time. That's, that's the highest interest rate, right? So when you're on, on the business level and you're hiring, a lot of hiring is done on short-term loans. A lot of new construction at a business as far as manufacturing for the next year's line of products is short-term loans. The whole factory is a long-term loan. The biggest pieces of equipment in the factory is a long-term loan. 
the little things that you do to the factory to get ready for next year's changes in the stuff that you're making. You're not going to make the same thing you made this year, or if you are, it's going to be mildly altered. That retooling, the new equipment that's needed, the people that you hire to come in and do that, that's usually financed on short term, which makes it more expensive to be radically different for the next year. Well, being radically different is kind of how your profits go up. Look how different we are from our competition. Look at these amazing things that we're doing. It's big and different, and now you'll buy our stuff. So there's a tendency for us to have slower growth or no growth at all when short-term rates are really, really high. But that doesn't mean that short-term rates being high means no growth. If people have money in the bank and they're willing to use that money to hire those same people instead of taking a financing, instead of taking a loan to do it with, then you just coast right through that period. And that's what has happened in the United States. There was enough cash on hand that we didn't have as at the business level to go into a great deal of debt to change what we're doing in the next lineup for next year. We could use the cash we have. It's excess to what we normally have on hand. So we'll spend some of that instead of getting those expensive loans. We had a lot more savings here than the rest of the world, uh, which may or, you know, there's a great debate on how much a component of inflation that had. It was in there somewhere. We believe that it was a very small amount of the of the inflation was having the money on, on hand because we weren't spending it as quickly uh, as as the prices were changing. So this is fascinating stuff. It's probably way too esoteric. It's kind of like the beginning of Ferris Bueller's Day Off when Ben Stein is, Bueller, anyone, anyone? Well, that's us right now saying, we didn't see it. It wasn't there. The inflation was there, but inflation was nowhere near as bad as what took place in Europe. Europe didn't have the kind of cash on hand and stimulus that we had. You come here and our inflation's going away, Europe's in a full-on recession. Our, when I say our inflation's going away, we've been ta we talked about that the first hour. We started talking about it two and a half months ago. It looks like the Federal Reserve has gotten inflation tamed. It looks like we're, we're moving in the right direction. We may get another, well, we will get another interest rate next week, increase next week or the week after next when the Federal Reserve meets. I think they're meeting this coming week um, and they should be, they're likely to raise rates another quarter point. The big question is, are they going to do it after that one more time this year? And with the numbers that we've just seen, probably not, uh, but they might, they'll tell us more about it. Um, when we When we look at the core inflation and we take away food and energy, and we take away the rental value of your home that you're not renting out, we're below the target that they've set for themselves. So that's that's important. Uh, we talked about China being in tough, tough land. They had zero stimulus. Their lockdown was significantly longer than ours. When they opened back up at the beginning of this year and started shipping products up, out, their manufacturing jumped up massively all the way March and or February and March, their manufacturing just shot into the stratosphere. They were making stuff and sending it out as fast as they could. They had back orders that they needed to fill that they hadn't been able to fill for two years. And then at the end of it, they ran out of back orders and they realized that the forward 
orders were a lot fewer than they had been. Well, how could that be? Well, because we've been talking about this for four years now. Pre-pandemic, people were moving manufacturing out of China, moving it to other places, Mexico, Canada, Thailand, Vietnam, Ukraine. Yes, they were doing that before the war. Uh all kinds of places in Eastern Europe are having new manufacturing facilities put in to service the greater Europe. We're doing it in Mexico and in China and to a great deg degree inside the United States. Massive amounts of manufacturing building happening right now. The actual potential to create manufacturing is going up. We mentioned this in the newsletter, while manufacturing is shrinking. We're making fewer things, but we're building a lot more manufacturing plants. What does that do for prices in the future? They're going to go down. If we, We've gone through three years now of not having enough stuff, so that stuff getting more and more expensive. When I say we don't have enough, food. When we were just talking last hour about eggs and chicken, eggs and chicken went up because we didn't have as many eggs and chickens. Well, wheat and corn and barley and soy and all the grains went up because we didn't have enough of those either. There was a, an invasion and that took the two leading, two of the three leading producers of grains and you can just kind of swipe all the way across the board on the grains area out of exports. We've got another bit coming up where the Russians right now are saying we may not be signing back on to that agreement to let people export wheat from um, the Black Sea. And that's a big question because there's a lot of wheat that was coming out over the last year when they made their agreement with Turkey. Russia, Turkey, and Ukraine had an agreement to allow the shipment of grains. That went out and that saved northern Africa from a an even worse famine. They're going through a famine right now. And just as a side note, we said this was going to happen in February of last year when the invasion took place. We said that North Africa was going to have famines and that there were likely to be civil wars and a lot of bad stuff happening in North Africa. It's happening now. And if you look at the news on uh, refugee ships going across the Mediterranean from North Africa up to Italy, you'll see that there's a lot of them because there's a famine happening there, because there's not enough wheat, because it's been locked off from the war. That adds to inflation. All of that stuff does. When we have manufacturing being created, the ability to manufacture being created at a rate that hasn't happened in this concentrated state since basically after World War II. When we moved our manufacturing to China, it took place over three decades. We're moving our manufacturing out of China in half a decade. And that's having obvious signs in China. Nobody's really admitting it, sort of. Um, here's a quote from the chief economist at Pinpoint Asset Management, which sounds like a great American company, but it's in China. It's not an American company. The, the guy's name is Zhang Zweihe, uh, or I'm not even going to try to say that pronounced. I'm sorry. <laughs> His quote is, uh, the latest data in the developed countries shows consistent signals of further weakness, which is likely to put more pressure on China's exports in the rest of the year. Um, we, we have to depend on domestic demand, but there's not enough of it. Okay, now even better. Um, when the foreign importers came back by that, uh, that meant their exports. 
us. They've become more sensitive to prices and will compare those from 10 suppliers before placing an order. So from the surface, the market is thriving, but in reality, only the wearer knows where the shoe pinches, which may be a mistranslation. <laughs> or of some great wise quote, quote, it does make sense that only the wearer would know where the shoe is pinching. But the reality is that what they're using that term for is that the wearers aren't buying the shoes from companies that are pinching them. And China's been pinching us for the last half a decade. It's weird to say it that way, but that's how long the trade war has been going. It's how long it's been that they have gone from welcoming us as their great customer to really not liking us and the quality dropping and the prices going up. So, I mean, we've been talking about it for a while, but this this isn't a surprise. China's in trouble. You want to take the subject next? We, we can look in something else too. Import prices in the United States fell two-tenths of 1% in June and have fallen five of the first six months of 2023. And what does that mean? China is the source, at least for consumer products, the largest source of our imports and the prices are dropping. This tends to lead inflation. In other words, we're actually seeing deflation in the import prices and have for six months now. Now that's directly from that quote. They're checking 10 prices before making a decision. And so, and Jake mentioned that uh, imported, by the way, food is also dropping. Generally speaking, there are, two, there are a couple of ways to see what's happening ahead of time. In, uh, in inflation. One is to look at the import prices. If our import prices are going down, and they are, um, they went down four-tenths of 1% in May, two-tenths of 1% in June. Then the next thing you look at is the producer price index. And we look at that very carefully. And that producer price index uh, for June, let me see if I get this here. It, it, it Okay, the producer price index for final demand increased 0.1% in June. However, final demand prices, which is a little different, that's the price that they put on something just before it's bought by a retailer and that the retailer has to pay, fell 0.4% in May and edged up 1% in April. So what we've got is the producer price index. The import prices lead the producer prices, which leads the inflationary prices. It looks like we will actually, I would not be at all surprised we're actually seeing this in some areas of the economy. Jake mentioned it about eggs and uh, chickens earlier. It's actually declining in price, which seems a little strange, but it is. And we'll probably see some price declines this year. They won't be huge. We won't, we won't go back to where we were three years ago. This isn't deflation. This is disinflation. We're just getting right. rid of some of the inflation that's already occurred. The good news in that is, uh, and the consensus has already seemed to have formed in the bond market, that the Federal Reserve will only raise interest rates one more time, 0.25% more. Now, that'll still put it up at probably above what the natural rate is. We don't know until after the fact. But I suspect we have seen, we have seen the demise of inflation, and we've probably seen the peak or we'll see the peak in the next month or so in the Fed short-term rates. And longer-term rates and rates in general, though, are almost, well, I consider to be radically unlikely to go back to where they were a decade ago or go back where they were prior to the, the pandemic. And there's a reason for that. Um, low inflation for a decade in the United States was mainly generated by China's integration into the markets. They had cheap labor. They made things cheaply. People were willing to get by on very little money uh, so they would have a job, and that's just not true anymore. And as a result, we no longer have an infusion of ultra-low 
priced labor and manufacturing into the world economy, which means that supply will trail behind demand like it normally does. And as a result, we will have 2 to 3% inflation going into the foreseeable future. That's just a guess on my part. It's based on 40 years of observing these things and, and studying a lot of data. So that's just the reality going forward. What does that mean to you? Well, if you have a very low interest rate mortgage on your house, you probably ought to hang on to that. And people are. People have, are electing not to move out of their houses. They're electing not to sale, sell their houses because the mortgage rates are so low. And if they move someplace, they would wind up with a 6% or 7% mortgage, which is where it is, 6.96% average last week. People don't want to do that, which means that the, the housing side of the market is going to remain pretty static for a while, except for new houses. What does all that mean? We're stabilizing. But at the same time, in the services side, we're seeing huge growth, which means we will probably continue to see growth in the economy going through the next couple of years. And the stock market will probably reflect, reflect that. That's not a promise, obviously. Future is always uncertain, but we're optimistic. Yeah. Wow. That's that's a a lot to parse. Um, it, there's a a lot happening in the world. It feels like we've talked a lot about that. What What do you have? I I got a, a dearth here because I had all things set up in the first hour technical issues I have to go digging again. Well, um, there's several things going on in the economy that I think are kind of interesting. Uh, not the least of which is that uh, we have an economy that's growing and shrinking at the same time. And that's odd, but it is a reaction to the to the pandemic that went on. But it's overall a very healthy economy. And I think it's the important thing, if people are concerned about where the economy is going, and a lot of people are, is don't read about it or watch it on TV. Go out and look around. Go out to a restaurant and see if the restaurant's jammed with people or if there's nobody there, if it's a good restaurant. Drive on I-35 and see how many people are driving and how many big trucks are roaring up down I-35. Get a feel for what's going on in the real world. Uh, and you generally have a better handle there than you have by reading all the articles about it because many of the people who write the articles are not going out in the real world and observing. They're simply looking at statistics that are coming out from someplace and saying, okay, here's what's going to happen when those statistics occur. The rest of this decade will be like that. It will be very different from what we experienced probably over the last 40 years. And it's one of those things where it's, it's good to keep a handle on what's going on. Uh, and it's also good to, if you have the time and you have the ability. Well, I want to say something about uh, an item that's making a lot of headlines and driving a lot of stock prices up that I think is probably all that is happening in error. So-called artificial intelligence, uh, it already, the, the, the so-called artificial intelligence basically had it came out of something called OpenAI, and uh, it's ChatGPT. And people are treating it in the media who don't understand it as though a computer is actually thinking. It is not thinking. The best way to look at the so-called AI large language model programs is they are uh, Google search on steroids. They go through the internet very quickly and find words that match with your question are words that are where people are responding to your question. And it gives you a very rational sounding answer, which in my experience is about as likely to be completely wrong as it is to be right. Uh, and, and that is one of the things that I think is entirely overhyped at this moment. Eventually, we'll probably get to where and computers, uh, a large language model and computers can delineate between false or mistaken information 
and accurate information. Right now, they can't. If whatever people are saying as they write on the text versions of the internet is what this thing is going to report. And it's going to screw it up sometimes. Uh, I inadvertently used chat GPT last week uh, when I was researching something. I put a search into Bing, uh, the Microsoft program, and I got an answer from chat GPT, even though I wasn't asking for it. And it was profoundly wrong. Uh, has to do with it, it indicated that if you took money out of a Roth IRA, you pay full income taxes on it, period. Which is, you don't have to be a financial genius to realize that that is an incorrect statement. It's yeah. the whole purpose in using a Roth IRA. There are times is, when you would have taxes or and or penalties involved. Yeah, it, so you just need to know that stuff. Yeah. But to, to blanket say, when you pull it out, you're going to have taxes. What? And, you know, it was, we were, I was asking the question about what are the requirements for, what are the requirements and limitations on a, on a conversion of a regular IRA to a, uh, to a Roth IRA? And yeah, there are circumstances under which you could pay taxes if you took it out too quickly. But that's one of the things, as long as that error level is that high, and it is that high, I recommend people, it, it, they're fascinating, uh, they produce some interesting stories, uh, but they're not reliable. And you just need to be very, very careful in those areas. It's, it's like anything else in the internet right now. Uh, you need to take a great deal of care. They're getting smarter and smarter and smarter out there at finding ways to take your money from you. And it's not a good thing. And I, you, you, many of you barely already know this. The FTC has sent a 20-page letter to OpenAI to open an investigation as to whether chat GPT is injuring people. And I think in some cases it is because people take it at its statement and say that must be the truth when it's not. Yeah, yeah. and there's a couple of other good ones out there based on that same con concept uh authors of books that uh the language model had access to illegal versions of those books that were setting sitting on repositories on the great world wide web um and chat gpt perused those books read all the way through them and they held it in its memory and then when people ask about those books it gives synopses and direct quotes and all that stuff after having read the book without purchasing it. And so there's lawsuits on that. The other, ne I mean, next thing is um, uh, video game companies are working hard at uh, creating video games. And one of the areas that has been the most difficult for video game designers is finding people with 3D artists skills the ability to to build the model of whatever it is that's running around or sitting in the game so they've turned to ai to do it and ai develops these 3d models that then you can animate and they went to copyright their games and the copyright office says you can't have a copyright on that well, why not well because chat gpt perused everybody else's work to come up with their own now this is going to be dealt with in court over the next probably three decades it's a big big deal but that's kind of how we learn too it's not the same but you write a book based on your knowledge that you've acquired throughout your life from all the sources and if chat gpt is building art or any other ai technology is building art based on all of its knowledge there are components in that art that belong to other people. And this goes to like if you're writing music and you use a, 
a phrase from another song in your song, is it yours? So the concept of ownership is already shaky. It's hard to understand. It's conceptual. And we try to put legal guidelines around this concept, but it's really hard to fit it into a box. It's, it's an idea. And ChatGPT has ideas now. They're ideas that are compilations of lots of data, wrong and right. <laughs> what you were just saying about it coming up with incorrect data. Well, it hasn't had to take any tests to make sure that it's going to give a, a common school bo uh, book correct answer on lots of areas. Last week, I talked just a little bit about uh, the third-party agencies noticing the overall volume of search requests and research being done at ChatGPT and BARD and a lot of the other new AI places dropping drastically by 14, 15%, sometimes more in June. What happened? Is the demand for AI not what we expected? And the answer came back from a school kid. Well, we're not using it for homework anymore. And it's not writing our school papers for us anymore. <laughs> we're not cheating because it's summer. Um, so AI is going to be here forever. Its implications, man, there's nobody that can look out there and see exactly what's going to happen here. It's kind of like when the, when the internet was born, we had all these ideas of what would happen, and some of them actually did. And a lot of stuff that nobody knew would happen happened. Uh, and a lot of the fear that we had has also happened. Well, it's allowing people who have nefarious intent to get together with other people who have the same nefarious intent. You know, if, if you have one um, conspiracy theory-driven, paranoid person living in a cabin in the woods who has no access to a greater community of people that think like them, you have a dangerous individual. When you put them all together on the same bulletin board, Tumblr, Reddit, fill in the blank, you have the potential for great disaster. And that's kind of what we paid for, for the amazing things that we get to do. I mean, I, we would not be able to be doing this radio program the way we're doing it, or just about <laughs> at all anymore, without having the internet, without having these new things that have popped up. And AI is going to influence what we're doing in the future. I'm, I'm, we're back to me talking about my optimism for the for the future again on new technologies that are coming and a lot of times when a new technology comes out there's this either cotton candy approach of everything's going to be better or the pessimistic approach of everybody's going to lose their jobs the reality is right in the middle usually the cotton count cotton candy outweighs the other area or it wouldn't happen the new technologies are here and and still arriving and they're going to keep arriving faster and faster we just you, you've got a pair of glasses at your house that you have shown me that when you put them mm. on, allow you to look at computer screens that don't exist. Yeah. You put these glasses on and you can work as if you have series of relatively large screens, relative, very large screens in your house right next to you, but nobody else has them. Nobody else sees them. They're just in your glasses and you can see through them. This is a little piece of a much bigger picture that's coming. The way we do business, the way we do entertainment, the way we do learning, the way we do manufacturing, there's no aspect of our lives that won't be changed by this. That was a double negative saying everything will change. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited about that. Well, yeah, and it's going to integrate gradually into our lives. Uh, I just think there's too much being made out of a very primitive device that isn't 
very accurate right, right now. Reminds me and, a bit of the dot-com era when the internet is coming. So anything that is internet-based goes up in value. We're seeing that on Wall Street with AI. You mention AI in a, in a press release at all, and your stock price tends to go up at this point. Well, Elon Musk is claiming that uh, he's coming out with an XAI that is more reliable than OpenAI and Google. Yeah, and and based on, and this is something that I actually talked about this two weeks ago, um, it's surprising to me that uh, Tesla or SpaceX had done something along these lines because the large language models that are most of the AI models out there today are based on talking and language. Tesla already has that for actions, for physical movement. It is predictive on what people are going to do. And anybody that thinks it's perfect is wrong, but it sure is a lot better than people still. So you still get weird functions where a car stops in the middle of an intersection or things like that. But I'll tell you, a lot more people-driven cars stop in the middle of an intersection than AI-driven cars. So the XAI coming out from them makes sense. Most, I mean, when, when their rockets are landing themselves, there's no human doing that. Those, those rockets can't have a human doing that. The human will fail. Those rockets land themselves and their cars drive themselves. And that's... The same kind of AI as the language model, only in replace language with action. So if they build the language model into that, that's amazing. No, there's all of this terror that people have around AI and if it takes over your equipment and we're and and Microsoft and and Alphabet are all saying we're going to put silos around them so they can't have control of actual equipment. Well, that's already taking place over on the Tesla AI and on the SpaceX AI go back i we got an email from roger he said how did you realize that the information you received in your internet search was incorrect well i know the subject fairly well yeah and i realized that and i and one of the things that i appreciate about google's version of uh, of the bard uh, chat bard is it will give references and that's that's a key point before you assume that something is correct you get off the internet find legitimate reference points for example uh, the IRS has a wonderful brochure about Roth IRAs, and it gives you all the correct information. It just takes a while to read it. Whereas if you just did a search and Bing told you something, uh, that is that is not going to work real well, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I guess a couple of weeks ago, I'm trying to remember exactly when it was, I went through in detail on economic questions that I would ask for uh, high school or um college level or graduate level uh, people in econ classes. And I set out to see which AI was going to answer me correctly on these things and found that they didn't answer me correctly. None of them did. Bard was better at economics questions than chat GPT. And Bard, I would have given a barely passing grade at the high school level. Um, how do I know it was wrong? Well, because I know what the right answer is, and that wasn't it. Um, so when ChatGPT or Bard are consulted by, uh, a, for instance, a, a reporter who wants to write something about the economy, and I've been noticing this in the non-economic-related articles that are writing on economics. So these, are, these are people that don't usually write in the finance world, and they're putting out articles about inflation, or they're putting out articles about labor or workforce, I'll give you an example. Uh, if What's the difference between 
the, the labor force and the unemployed. What is the labor force? That's a simple question. And that's one of the questions that I ask both ChatGPT and BARD. And when you ask ChatGPT this, it will tell you that it is the population of the, of the country. And that's just absolutely wrong. You would never get that right on a, on a test at any econ level, even at the very, very lowest level, that is an incorrect answer. You have just described the population of the country, not the labor force. If the population were the labor force, we'd be breaking all the child labor laws. Um, that's, that's not the correct answer. And it's very easy to say that's not the correct answer because we know what the correct answer is. It's not that. Uh, and Bard did it slightly better, but we, I just asked some pretty basic econ questions. I'm not asking hard stuff. And then I asked it harder things. Chat GPT ran into a brick wall. Bard still continued to try to answer. Chat GPT told me it didn't want to answer anymore. So AI is amazing. It's going to be more amazing in the future. But we need to have some level of uh, critique of references to say, where did that come from? Uh, and if you just think about econ, this is something that a great number of people that believe they know a lot about it post huge, very long written essays to blog posts and to Reddit channels about what they believe economics to be, only they never say, I believe it to be. They just write it as fact. And if the AI is giving that article as much weight as something from the Wharton School or the University of Chicago, then you can see where it's wrong. It doesn't know what, what is correct answers. And the only way it can know that is to run it by somebody that does know. But it doesn't know who does know. There you go. So if you talk to one of your relatives that get all of their information from the internet and have extremely um, hard opinions about the world in general from their knowledge of the internet, then you've talked to ChatGPT as well. They have the same level of expertise. We're going to polish AI. Your relative may take some extra polishing, if you see what I'm saying. There. Yeah, that's yeah. certainly that's certainly don't, true. Don't polish your relatives. That leads to bad Thanksgiving dinners. Just just don't do it. And we're about out of time. This is the personal wealth coach with Jeff and Jake McClure. Uh, this is the personal wealth coach, and we do make uh, other statements than really bad puns about songs. Uh, we are uh, a a finance program, as you would probably guess from the personal wealth coach being our title. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the title of the program. It's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. All right. Well, does that mean that the SEC likes us? What would you say to that, sir? I would say that the SEC is professionally dislikes almost everyone. Right. That is no implication of the SEC's approval just because we're registered with them. Why is the radio program and the firm named the same thing because we have to give this disclosure no matter what it is and it's less disclosureable it takes less time to do if it's just the same name so we've been doing this program here uh on this in, on this station 1400 a.m in temple since 1996 we've been doing this a long time and we haven't been paid for it ever uh we also Man. have not ever paid for it so we've been doing this a long, long time, and the whole idea is education. We do advertise as a firm for on the studio, 
uh, on the channel for this radio program. We don't actually advertise for our firm. We're advertising for the radio program. So what we're saying is that this is educational and we do occasionally get business from it, but our purpose here is truly education. That being said, it's not advice. Advice would be if I knew who you were, if the other bald guy, Jeff, knew who you were, and we were able to have a private conversation with you about things in your best interest versus broadcasting to everyone. So we're going to be talking about education, which is why we do the program to begin with. So those two disclosures are really one. And having said that, do you deem to tell us another disclosure? Yes. The information we present on this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. And he really can't get through the week without that. I think Uh, if you would like to talk to us off the air, we actually give individually, uh, individually crafted and customized advice based on what people are trying to achieve. That's generally portfolio management and portfolio management. And that's generally for people with higher net worths, but we make exceptions occasionally. Um, and so you can contact us locally voicemail available during the weekend, but actual real live people, no phone tree during the week at two, five, four, nine, four, seven, 11, 11. You can reach that line tool free at one, eight hundred nine, one, four, seven, five, two, six. That's eight hundred nine, fourteen plan. And I think it's important to note that we're an independent fiduciary firm. We don't work for a corporation. We only work for our clients. Right. Exactly. Uh, you can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com or tpwc.com. There's a contact form. You can use emails, Jeff or Jake at tpwc.com. There are uh, recordings of the radio program going back years, newsletters going back decades, uh, and you can find us wherever podcasts are given. Um, thank you very much for listening on a nice Saturday morning. And until next week, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.